0: Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data.
1: Welcome to MedEvidence, powered by Encore Research Group. Go to EncoreDocs.com. This is MedEvidence, truth behind the data, with Dr. Michael Corrin. He is a practicing cardiologist and chief executive officer at Encore Research Group, which conducts trials across Florida, clinical trials across Florida. He has been the principal investigator of over 2,000 trials and has been published in the most prestigious medical journals. Dr. Corin received his medical degree cum laude at Harvard Medical School. For more information on local trials, visit EncoreDocs.com. That That's E-N-C-O-R-E-D-O-C-S dot com or call 904-730-0166. Well, in this episode, Med Evidence, Truth Behind the Data with Dr. Michael Korn, we're actually going to talk about truth behind the data.
0: We are. We're going to get into the truth behind the data. Um, One, thank you for having me this morning. Yes. Thank you for that kind introduction. You didn't mention Newdorp High School. Oh, or, I'm also a proud graduate of New Dorp High School in Staten Island, New York.
1: Okay, so, uh, well, uh, go, what's their mascot? Centrals.
0: Go, go centrals. centrals. I think, unless they've changed it. <laughs> it may not be politically correct anymore. Right, you never know. You have to go one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Days. But anyhow, um, yeah, but again, always good to see you.
1: Yeah, so we're going to do uh, the topic today, mm-hmm. kind of dive into what is med evidence and the clinical trials from soups. Soup to nuts, kind of, if you will, and um, just talk a little bit about so, why. So
0: let's let's explore truth for, for a little while. All right, okay? all right. So I'm going to ask you a question, and and you you haven't given me the answer. Just this is not rehearsed. Right. This right. is all this is all live and spontaneous. Yes. So I'm going to ask you, what is the opposite of faith? What is the opposite
1: of faith? All right. Well, I guess it depends on the definition of faith. No, just don't don't
0: overthink this. Okay. All right. What's the first (laughs) Uh, that comes to your
1: mind? The opposite of faith is, um, I think the opposite of faith is uh, like life, you know? Um, I don't, I think faith goes many different directions. Okay. And it could be religious. It could be.
0: Yeah. Just give me a word. A word. Yeah. Just the opposite of faith, the word that comes to your mind first. There's truth. a right, or wrong answer. Truth. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So that. So truth. Okay. That, okay. that is one. One thing. So there. There are actually two different opposites, and that's why I asked the question. So one opposite of faith is doubt. True. Right. Yes. And the other opposite of faith is certainty. Right. Mm-hmm. So those are the two opposites, and depending on the context, you're either in one space or another. And so this is actually a philosophical debate for a long time: is what is the opposite of faith? Mm-hmm. And there's different nuances in human experiences based on that thinking. So, in in my world, in the scientific world, this has centered around two ideas in statistics. So, the first idea in statistics is that there is no absolute truth; that you know, truth is a construct that we kind of just make up. Mm-hmm. And when everybody when everybody believes something, it's truth, and that is called probabilistic determin- uh, probabilistic statistics. Where is that you you come up with a hypothesis? You keep on repeating it over and over again, and then when enough people believe it, it becomes the truth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things in life work that way. Um, you know, this is um, can be manipulated. There has been dictators that have just said that if I repeat the same thing over and over again, it becomes the truth, whether or not it is. But that that is one element of of being a human, of human nature, is that you you have faith in things and you keep on repeating it over and over and over again, it becomes the truth. And that could be for good and for bad. In some cases, um, having faith allows us to go through our day-to-day process without being paralyzed by fear. On the other hand, if we become um, uh, believing something that may not be fundamentally true, then bad things can happen. Mm -hmm. So that's one way of thinking about it. But the other way of thinking about it is that there is absolute truth. It just may be hard to find. And the, the, the school of, of thought that there is absolute truth was actually promoted by a famous statistician called R.A. Fisher. And R.A. Fisher was around the beginning of the 20th century, and he wrote a number of earth-shattering papers showing that there is, in fact, absolute truth. And the example that he used was a very, very famous study called Lady Tasting Tea. Okay. Okay. So there's a lady who was, a you know, a fancy like, lady in British royalty circles who said she can tell when she drank a cup of tea if they put in the milk first or the tea first.
1: Okay. All right.
0: That was that was what she said. That was her her, her hypothesis that she could always tell. She had that ability. And, you know, most people, say, you know, she said it over and over and again, and everybody said, well, it must be true. You know, She's saying it over and over again. Other people have said that she can do it. So this must be the truth. But Fisher said, well... No, 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 no. How do I know that's really true? (laughs) And he said, there's got to be a way of testing that. So he actually created the modern statistical method based on this anecdote, which is stating a null hypothesis, stating a hypothesis, and then doing an experiment to see whether or not that thing is true or not. And he basically came up with the statistical concepts is that if you do something a repeated number of times and you get the same results – it must mean that something is true. Okay. So, in the lady tasting tea experiment, he he basically said that in order for if she gets it right eight times in a row, but she doesn't know if I put milk or tea in, and she gets it right eight times in a row, chances are that she's telling the truth.
1: How did he pick eight?
0: Uh, based on a probability. Okay. So, so uh, this has to do with uh, normal distributions. The, the world is littered with normal distributions. <laughs> so, if something is so far outside of a normal distribution, it contradicts the null hypothesis. Okay. Okay. And that's, and that's the concept. Right. And you can actually calculate how far it contradicts the null hypothesis by creating something called a p-value. So, the more observations. So, obviously, if she gets it right eight times, mm-hmm. he can be reasonably sure that she's telling the truth. If she gets it right a hundred times in a row, mm-hmm. then uh, it, of course. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So again, and if she gets it a thousand times, on and on on on. Now, if she gets it right a hundred times and gets it wrong once, she's still telling the truth. Right. But she just had a bad day. Okay. Or <laughs> <Yeah. mad 13.
1: laughs> Something was maybe she burned her tongue. R- r- yeah, right.
0: <laughs> but the point is is that he came up with this concept that you can actually determine the truth. And that's called fisherian statistics or deterministic statistics that's different from something called Bayesian statistics. So the Reverend Bayes was a, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was in the 1700s. So in 18th, 18th century, um, he was actually a pastor. He was very interested in math. And he was you know, a typical Renaissance person who uh, dabbled in a bunch of things. And he showed that statistics could be used to make assessments about things. So let's just say that somebody had chest pain. Mm-hmm. You know, they woke up this morning, they had chest pain. And you want to know whether or not they, they're having a heart attack. Okay, So you might ask an expert about that, and the expert would you know, kind of look at the person and have a pretty good idea based on instincts mm-hmm. whether or not that person's having a heart attack or not. Okay, so that's one level, but you're still—that's a leap of faith. You're—you have a faith in that person. That—that person has, you know, fancy credentials, like going to New York High School, (laughs)
1: right? Right, Harvard. You know, it's all good. (laughs) Yeah, and
0: and you—you can can trust that person, and then that becomes the truth. Mm -hmm. But what Bayes would say is that there's ways of testing that which doesn't necessarily determine the truth the way Fisher determined it, but gives you a better probability that you're correct. So a a cardiologist like myself, when we're assessing chest pain, we would typically ask a series of questions and depending on the answer to that question, you're either more or less certain that that patient is having a heart attack. So for example, if you said, well, it hurts when I take a deep breath, Mm -hmm. you would say, okay, that's a question that when answered that way, makes me believe it's less likely to be a heart attack. On the other hand, if you said, well, I'm sweating and I'm really short of breath with this chest pain, then you'd be more concerned about a heart attack. So you learn things just by asking a series of questions. Each of those is a test, and it moves the probability in one direction or another. And then you can do more sophisticated tests like uh, you you get lab tests like a troponin level, which is considered a very, very, very accurate test, which gives us a lot more certainty Mm -hmm. that you're not having a heart attack if it's negative. If it's positive, you're leaning towards the fact that it was a heart attack although other things can cause a positive troponin but the point I'm making getting back to um, Bayesian statistics Mm -hmm. is that there's not one test that gives you absolute truth but that there's a series of different questions and observations that move the needle one way or another And when you move the needle far enough in one direction or another, then ultimately you can feel pretty comfortable that you're either at the truth or close to the truth. Or at least you have an operational hypothesis, which you can make uh, valuable in different ways by acting on it.
1: Right. Well, I want to know what about the tea, though?
0: Okay. So the T is, is a whole different way of thinking about it. Right. So the T is saying, okay, instead of uh, just moving the needle, mm-hmm. like, like you can ask the, this woman a bunch of different questions, like, you know, how did you develop this talent and, and, and things that may assess it and, and move your credibility one way or another, or your credulousness, I guess is the right word, one way or another. Mm-hmm. Or you can actually set up a structured experiment. And what Fisher described is the power of a structured experiment, and that's what we do in clinical trials. So, Lady Tasting Tea, does drug X work? Same type of question. They're both subject to hypothesis testing where you say, okay, the null hypothesis is that it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And the only way I would believe it works is if we test a bunch of people... And everybody seems to do better on drug X than on drug Y or on a placebo or on a control. And using that type of strategy, we actually get to the truth. So I think your question was historical. And um, I'm going to wait to the next segment before I actually give you the answer to the question. Oh, okay. All right. So what what do they call that in in media? A cliffhanger?
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. We're going to just leave that as a tease to the next one. Right.
0: But what I will say is this process of hypothesis testing and looking at uh, whether or not something happens based on a prospective analysis, based on being blinded, and then ultimately based on being randomized are ways of establishing truth. And these are things that we do in the clinical trial world every day that help us establish the truth.
1: I'm your host, Michelle McCormick, and we wanna thank Dr. Michael Koren for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of MedEvidence, the truth behind the data.